This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Well, good afternoon, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Amy Shepard. I'm the secretary of GYC. I'm also currently a student at the University of Virginia Law School. I'm in my last semester, so I'm like what some of you may be. I don't have a lot of experience in the working world, but I have a lot of questions. Um, and so I've been doing research trying to prepare myself for what it will, be to, what it will mean to be a woman working in the professional world. And um, I've been asking my friends a lot of questions, asking older women a lot of questions. So hopefully they'll resonate with the questions you've been asking and we can answer some of those questions. Um, just out of curiosity before we begin, how many of you, I just want to get a sense, you know, you know a little about me now, I want to know a little about you. How many of you are already in the working world, are already young professionals and out? Okay, probably at least half. And how many of you are maybe in college right now? Any college students? Okay, a couple. And how many of you are in grad school? Any grad students? Okay. Yeah, I'm a grad student too. All right, good to know. So we have a good mix of people, people who are asking the same questions, trying to figure out the same thing. Um, we're going to be talking for this hour about balance and rest and how do we bring balance to our lives when it's very hectic. So this is something that's applicable to us, whether we're in the working world or not, whether we're students, whether we're professionals, the principles are pretty much the same across the board. And if we can learn it at this point in our life, wherever we are, it's, it's a skill that will help us as we continue to go throughout. But before we begin, let's stop and have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much again for bringing us together to GYC and just for this opportunity that we have to study your word, to examine principles from the spirit of prophecy, to understand what you would have us to do, Lord. We know that our lives are not our own, that they were bought with a price. And we just ask that in all things we may bring you glory, Father, especially in the way that we use our time. We know that you've called many of us to a special calling, um, to things that may not look like a normal calling for a young woman. And we just want to bring you glory in those things and understand how to balance it with the other duties that you've given us. We just ask that you'll make those clear as we go through our presentation today and um, that we'll be able to make applications to our lives. I ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So, the first thing we're going to do is look at a Bible text because we should be based in, the, in Scripture. It's Romans 12:11, and it says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's describing the way that we should be living our lives. And there's three different aspects to it. We shouldn't be sloth, slothful, can't speak today, <laughs> slothful in our business. There is a part of our life that needs to be dedicated to work. There's a part of our life that needs to be dedicated to things that have to do with taking care of the things that are on this earth. There's another part of our, of our life that has to do with our service to God. And there's another part of our life that has to do with our spiritual life. There's, there's different aspects of our life that all demand some time. And the question is, how do we balance that time? But before we get into that, I want to talk about what is even the importance of balance. I think there's some people in the world. Um, I saw some of them this summer. I worked at a law firm for the summer for about 10 weeks. And it was a very interesting experience for me. Before, I'd always done academic research or I'd done child service as employment. This was the first time I really worked in a, a real professional environment. And um, there were some other summer associates like me who they would get in really, 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 really early in the morning. And they'd stay really, really, really late at night. And really, we were just interns. At that point, they told us we shouldn't be putting in these crazy hours. Some of them, it's because they thought they needed to put that much time in. Others were trying to you know, win kudo points or whatever. But 
All they were doing that summer was working. They'd go home, they'd sleep, they'd come back to work. They weren't doing anything else. So their life was kind of out of balance in my, from my perspective, but they thought that their lives were fine. They didn't think there was any problem with the way that they were spending their time. But we know that there's not just one way that we should be spending our time. God wants us to diversify the way that we're living our lives. And it shouldn't be focused in just one arena. Now, the question is, what the importance of balance is this. It's trying to avoid one key thing. What do you think that one thing is? Burnout. What's another short word for burnout? Stress. The, the importance of balance is it's trying to avoid stress in our life. And stress is something that can be very stressful. I mean, even when I hear the word, like, it doesn't even look that nice. You know, it's like crazy and like, oh my goodness, I can't deal with stress. Like, I have so much to do, ah, you know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> that's what we're trying to prevent by a balanced life. And that's why a balanced life is important. So there's two reasons, actually, why a balanced life is important. The first is it's for our own good. It helps us keep our own sanity. It helps us keep our health. It helps us keep our relationship with God solid. Balance is something that God has given us so that we don't get out of whack and, and you know, lose control. The second thing is it's a witness to others. I know Magda was talking about that a lot in the, in the um, seminar before this one, but the way that we live our lives impacts the way that other people understand God. And I want to share with you a few quotes about that. Um, first is, I think it's hymn 480 in our hymnal. It's called Dear uh, Lord and Father. And verse number, th I think it's three or four, is this. It says, drop thy still dues of quietness till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. It's written by John Greenleaf Whittier. And I, I remember learning this hymn, I think my junior year of college, and I would sing it a lot for my devotions, but one day that verse just really jumped out to me about that it's all of our strivings oftentimes that cause us to get stressed out, that cause us to lose balance in our life. But it's God who gives us the ability to remove the strain and stress from that and to bring order to our life. And when he brings order to our life, it's an exhibit of peace and it's like an exhibit of what he is able to do to other people. And I think about that, that's how he recreates our life, and it's also, it shadows back the way that he created the world to begin with. The world was in chaos in the beginning, you know? The spirit hovered over the formless, the formless waters, and then God brought order to that disorder. And in the same way that our lives may be full of tons and tons of disorder, so many different things that we have to do, God is able to bring order into our lives, and that's a testament of his power, just like creation is a testament of his power. Um, another quote. Every, almost everything that I'm sharing with you today come from two books. One is Daughters of God. It's a compilation of Ellen White writings on, um, on women in ministry and women in the workplace. And the second book is called Let Me Be a Woman by Elizabeth Elliot. She's not a Seventh-day Adventist, but she's a very godly woman. And um, both of them had some interesting things to say about how to balance your life. So this first one is from Elizabeth Elliot. And she says, The way we live ought to manifest the truth of what we believe. A messy life speaks of a messy and incoherent faith. She also says, the way you keep your house, the way you organize your time, the care you take in your personal appearance, the things you spend your money on, speak loudly about what you believe. The beauty of thy peace shines forth in an ordered life. A disordered life speaks loudly of disorder in the soul. So when we as Seventh-day Adventists go into the workplace, go into our professional school programs, and we have a stressed out, disordered life, it does not bring glory to God. It, it makes them think 
why, what is any different about this person who believes in God than what I believe? Because their life is just as much of a mess as, my, as mine is. But when God brings that peace and that order to our life, it gives them an understanding that there is something special about this person, and it's not because of who they are, but it's because of who they believe in. The very way that we live our lives talks about what we believe in. Um, then the last quote is um, Ellen White talking in Fundamentals of Christian Education about Jesus. She was talking about when he was working in the carpenter shop. So before he entered his public ministry, when he was just working at sanding down those um, like boards and making different things out of, out of wood, this is what she said. He was as perfect as a workman as he was perfect in his character. The way that his work life was, it was a reflection of his character itself. And so we can see if there's disorder in our life, it may mean that there's something that's disorderly about us deeper down inside. It's something that it's in our being that's disordered and that once we address that root issue, the symptoms can start to go away of the disorder in other areas of our life. So I wanted to share with you um, two experiences that I had personally about order in my life. One was a positive and one was a negative. The first one was my first year of law school. Um, law school is very, very demanding. You have hundreds of pages to read a week. The professors expect you to read it all before you show up to class. And then they call on you, and they expect you to be able to talk about it for 40 minutes without stopping, unless if they're asking you questions. So it's just a lot of preparation and studying and reading, and, and it really could take all day, every day, seven days a week. So when people started hearing that I wouldn't do work from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday, they thought that I was crazy. And then around finals, when all of them were like staying up all night drinking five pots of coffee and doing all of these different things, and I would just kind of stay home. I'd still take Sabbath off. I was studying more than I was the rest of the year, but trying to keep calm and balanced, they started asking me questions like, so wait, why is it that you, you don't work on Saturday again? What is it about your life that, that's making this different? And a friend of mine has continued to ask questions over the last three years of law school. And she gave me a ride home recently from school, and she told me um, that she felt bad that we hadn't been as good of contact over the summer, but she felt like every time she called, I was cleaning. And I told her, well, you always call me on Friday afternoon, so I always clean on Friday afternoon because I was preparing for Sabbath. And, um, you know, it's just part of what we do. We'd like to get our home in, you know, in, in a nice, pleasing place for people to come over and for it to just be clean for God so that we can enjoy the Sabbath day and just rest. And she's like, you know what? I really hope that my kids can be Seventh-day Adventist one day. Because I told her I was raised that way, you know. I was just kind of raised to be like this. It's kind of part of my culture, but I believe I should do that too. She's like, man, I want to raise my kids that way, and maybe one day I can be a Seventh-day Adventist myself. Just from the testimony of the fact that I would take Saturdays off, and she even at one point tried to keep Sabbath herself. I don't think she even believes in God. But she's like, if Amy can take a day off and have like this, they call, me, they call it Zen, and that's the thing. Like, there's all these New Age theologies that try to achieve, um, or philosophies, I should say, that try to achieve balance and peace in life. And so they're like, wow, Amy's so Zen. She has that, but it's not because it's Zen. It's because it's based on Jesus. And you know, he's the, he's the one who can truly order our lives. And, um, and so she tried to start keeping the Sabbath, not because she believed in Jesus, but just because she thought taking a day off would be a good idea. But then she started getting busy, and she, you know, okay, I'll work for half of the day. Okay, well, I'll only take three hours off, and then now she's back to working seven days a week because she doesn't understand yet that the way that we really experience Sabbath is it's a part of a relationship with the person. It's with Christ. So that's a positive experience. There's a friend who, you know, who's becoming more open to the Seventh-day Adventist message just because 
at least to her, it seems like my life is a very ordered life. But I'll be honest with you, I have not mastered this thing. Because some semesters, my life gets completely out of whack too. And that happened to me in the spring of this year. I didn't realize what was going on at first, but I was getting very busy with school. Had lots of classwork, GYC was busy, you know, just had a lot to do. And um, as a result, and I hate eating by myself, and it takes a long time to find people to eat with. And so what started happening is I would get hungry. I didn't feel like I had time to pick up the phone, find a friend and say, let's get dinner, or why don't you come over, I'll make you something, or whatever. So I was like, you know what, I won't eat a full meal. I'll just like eat a granola bar, or I'll grab a few grapes, or I'll do whatever, and just would only start eating a little bit at a time. Enough to make the hunger go away, but not really to fill myself and to nourish myself. And you know, it, 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 I started doing that, didn't think anything was really wrong with it, and I went to donate blood. I, like, I donate blood periodically, and I've, I've been a vegetarian for a long time and have never had any issues with not having enough iron in my blood. Well, they did a test, and, um, and they said, you know, the little test to see if you have enough um, hemoglobin or iron in your, I'm not a doctor, I don't know what words I'm saying, but you know, to see if there's enough iron in your blood. And they said, oh, you're just under, you should go home and you should eat something, you probably shouldn't give today though, but you shouldn't worry about it. But I didn't know then was that was the indication of something that was developing. And over the course of the summer, I just started feeling really tired. Like, why am I so tired? I improved my habits a little bit about eating, but not a lot. I was just exhausted all the time. Um, I was invited to speak at a campus ministry seminar over the summer. And on the last day of the conference, there were a lot of my friends who were visiting and they wanted to go eat and they wanted to hang out afterward. I went with them to eat, but afterward I was like, I can't stay. I just have to go home and sleep. Like I was just, I could, I could barely move. Like I had to pull myself out of bed in the morning to go to work, would drag myself through work all day and then bring myself back home and was exhausted. And I thought like, is this just me getting older? You know, I'm not in my young twenties anymore. Maybe this is just a symptom of, of what's happening. Well, my mom is a wise woman, and this is why we as younger women need to listen to the older women in our lives. And she told me, you need to go to the doctor. You haven't gotten a physical checkup in like two years. Just go to get a regular checkup. And they did the regular routine blood work. I went back to law school because I waited till the last minute until right before I went back to school. And they called me and they said, you need to get some more tests done because it looks like you've become anemic. And sure enough, they did a second round of tests and I had developed anemia from the fact that I hadn't been feeding my body properly. And that was just an, a, an example of the fact that because my diet wasn't balanced, it affected the whole way that my life was. My, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't feeling rested, and so I wasn't able to do as much work as I used to be able to do. And just everything fell out of whack because I didn't take the time to balance my life and make sure I was eating the right kind of food, and it just sent everything out of whack. I think that's an illustration of when Ellen White talks about there's a harmonious development between the body, the soul, and the mind. And if one of those things gets out of whack, the whole system can go crazy. So by the grace of God, he's been teaching me to be more balanced this semester. I don't have the problems anymore. Um, and we'll actually talk a little bit about some of the solution later. So question is really, what's behind, how do we achieve a balanced life? And this, this next slide is really the point of the whole seminar. So if you really have to go to the bathroom or leave, you could. Please don't, like stay. <laughs> but this, like, if you're gonna get anything from the seminar, understand this. This is how we achieve balance in our life. The key to a balanced life is doing what you ought to do, not what you want to do. And the key, the cause of an imbalanced life is doing what you want to do, not what you ought to do. Now, that almost sounds a little harsh because it's like, oh, only duty, 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 duty. But we'll look and see what are the oughts that we ought to do. And I think that you'll see that that's a lot more refreshing. But 
Many times, the reason that we get imbalanced in our life where we get stressed is because we're not focusing on others. We end up focusing too much on ourselves. I think a lot of times, the way, when we're trying to balance our life, it's almost a, a selfish motivation. It's like, oh, I don't have enough time for myself. What am I doing wrong? But the whole reason we may have gotten in that point in that place in the first place is because we're already concentrating on ourselves. And we're not concentrating on what our duties are to other people, to what our responsibilities are, um, and we're only focusing on one area of our life. Um, and Ellen White actually has something to say about this. Do I have the quote? Yes. It's from Daughters of God, page 163. There must be no bearing of our talents in the earth to corrode through inaction. A persistent indulgence of self a refusal to exercise our God-given abilities ill ensure our eternal will ensure our eternal separation from God, the loss of an eternity of bliss. These gifts are bestowed upon us in accordance with our ability to use them, and the wise improvement of each will prove a blessing to us and will bring glory to God. Every gift gratefully received is a link in the chain which binds us to heaven. I want to go back to this part that it says, a persistence indulgence in self and a refusal to exercise our God-given abilities will ensure our eternal separation from God and the loss of eternity and the loss of an eternity of bliss. So she identifies two things: indulgence in self and a refusal to exercise the gifts. And those are the two things that often lead to the imbalance in life. We focus too much on ourselves, and we um, we don't exercise the abilities that we have to actually get done everything that we need to get done. And I'll talk about this a little later, but when I came into the last seminar, Magda was saying that nowadays people, instead of going and talking with other people, are using time to, to do their work even better. They go on Facebook at work or whatever. That They're not using the little bits of time to make things better. They're not using those God-given abilities. And that's really where a lot of the imbalance comes from, that we're not, we're not putting the time in where we should. We have more time than we often think that we do. But the way that we're using it is not effective. So the question is, what ought we to do? If we should do what we ought to, not what we want, what are the oughts that we should do? And I'm going to quickly outline all of them, but then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about them in more depth. Um, the first thing, we ought to have communion with God. Number one, hands down. That's the thing that should always happen. We ought to be having communion with God. The second thing is work. God actually does want us to do some sort of work. And work is actually a very broad term. That doesn't mean you have to go to the job. To job. You have to go to the hospital report as being a nurse. Or you have to go to the office report as being an administrator or whatever. But there is work that he has every one of us to do. Next is exercise. Rest, self-improvement, and local church. And we're going to go through and look and examine a little bit what is it that he's expecting out of each of us in these areas. So the first one, communion with God. Um, let's see. Daughters of God, pages 163 to 164 says, When we give ourselves unreservedly to the Lord, the simple commonplace duties of home life will be seen in their true importance, and we shall perform them in accordance with the will of God. So you see, communion with God starts with dedicating ourselves to giving our lives to God. And when we completely consecrate ourselves to God, he will make clear to us what he wants us to do. Now, that's almost starting to get into what we're going to talk about tomorrow, which is, is God calling me to be a working woman? Is he calling me into the career? Um, and we, I promise you we're going to be focusing on that tomorrow. But let's look again. When we give ourselves unreservedly to the Lord, the simple commonplace duties of home life will be seen in their true importance, 
and we will perform them in accordance with the will of God. So when we properly concentrate on who God is, he helps us recognize what our priorities should be. He helps us recognize you need to do this first, you need to do this second, you need to do this third. We begin to get a sense of what's more important in our life and what things can sit on the back burner. It helps us understand what can we begin to say no to. Um, I should show these. Um, the other quote says this, if the worker has consecrated himself fully to God and is diligent in prayer for strength and heavenly wisdom, the grace of Christ will be his teacher, and he will overcome his defects and become more and more intelligent in the things of God. So as we continue to pray and seek God for wisdom, he will give us that wisdom and that understanding to know the things of God and to know what is this order that he's trying to bring to our life. And this is the first step. It doesn't happen unless if we begin with this personal communion with God. And that's why when we come busy, I think it becomes very easy to think, what can I cut out from my life that's a little bit, but kind of takes some time? A lot of times people start to scale back on their devotional life and they go from having whatever the longer period of time that they had spending in, time, in, in prayer and studying of the word of God and trying to shrink it down a little bit or saying, I'll make it up at the end of the day, but the end of the day never comes. <laughs> you pull an all-nighter or you only get three hours of sleep and you send yourself on a vicious cycle that, that doesn't end in a good place. Um, but that's not the first thing that we should cut. In fact, that's the last thing that we should cut. It's the thing that we should never cut because it's what helps us understand how to organize everything else in our life. The next thing that we ought to do is work. Um, I'll just put these up here so you can see them. Whoop. Yeah. Um, and she says this, the custom of supporting men and women in idleness by private gifts or church money encourages them in wrong habits. So it's bad to encourage people to do nothing. This course should be conscientiously avoided. Every man, woman, and child should be educated to practical, useful work. All should learn some trade. It may be tent making, it may be some other business, but all should be trained to use their powers to some purpose. And God is ready to increase the capabilities of all who will educate themselves to industrious habits. We are to be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. God will bless all who will guard their influence in this respect. Learning how to work is a good thing. And by work, developing practical skills that will help us in this life. Um, that was from Daughters of God, page 214. On page 213, she says, A woman who has been taught to take care of herself is also fitted to take care of others. She will never be a drag or a burden in the family or in society. When fortune frowns, there will be a place for her somewhere, a place where she can earn an honest living and assist those who are dependent upon her. Women should be trained to some business whereby she can gain a livelihood if necessary. Passing over other honorable employments, every girl should learn to take charge of the domestic affairs of home, should be a cook, a housekeeper, a seamstress. She should understand all those things which it is necessary that the mistress of a house should know, whether her family is rich or poor. Then, if reverses come, she is prepared for any emergency she is, for any emergency. She is, in a manner, independent of circumstances. Now, she says some things that might be a little abrasive to us today, like she should learn to be a housekeeper, a cook, a seamstress, da 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 like, oh, that's only stuff that's in the home. But I think we, what we need to take away is the principle of the matter, that we need to be developing skills, we need to know how to work in such a way that we can be independent of our circumstances, that no matter if we lose, I'm a lawyer, or I'm almost a lawyer, 
And if I law, and right now actually the law field is not doing very well, there's not very many jobs, it's, you know, the recession has hit it hard. If I can't find a job as a lawyer, do I have the skills necessary for me to be independent of that circumstance? You know, the law is a very cerebral um, profession, so you use your mind and I may not have enough skills to, to do something else. And you know, each of us need to evaluate that as we're getting our education. If this market dries up and there's not a job for me, do I still possess skills that I'll be able to provide for myself if I'm on my own or provide for my family if I have a family um, or contribute to the provision of a family if, if I'm not able to get a job in this area? And so work is not just going to work every single day, but it's knowing how to do the daily tasks of life. Tasks of life. The next one is exercise. Remember that man must preserve his God-given talent of intelligence by keeping the physical machinery in harmonious action. Daily physical exercise is necessary to the enjoyment of health. It is not work but overwork without periods of rest that breaks people down, endangering the life forces. Those who overwork soon reach the place where they work in a hopeless way. Daughters of God, page 162. And then this next one, like I said, law is very cerebral. And when I read this quote, it, it cut me to the heart. <laughs> and it says this, brain workers should give due attention to every part of the human machinery, equalizing the taxation. Physical and mental effort, wisely combined, will keep the whole man in a condition that makes him acceptable to God. So if you're in a profession or a field like mine where what you do is you drive to work and you sit at a desk and you read all day, <laughs> And then 10 hours later, you drive back home, and then you go home and you go to sleep. Like, that's not a properly balanced life. We need to be incorporating some sort of physical activity. And I've been doing some, um, some reading on that, and there's actually a movement in a lot of workplaces to incorporate exercise. And not just exercise like going to the gym and running on the elliptical machine, but um, getting these things called standing desks where you're not sitting down all day, you're actually standing up, and they say it helps improve people's ability to think and their creativity while they're at work, and it helps them to burn calories because you burn more calories standing up than you do sitting down. Also, they say things like, don't ride the elevator to your colleague's office. If you have to go talk to them, take the stairs. Just little things that you can do to increase your physical activity. But you also should do real exercise. Like that's, That doesn't make up for the fact that you're not going for a run or whatever. But we do need to spend, um, we ought to spend time in exercise. Um, and making sure that we're equalizing the work between our brain and our mind. Now, some of you may have very physical jobs. <laughs> I don't know if there's like, the first thing that came to mind is like being a lifeguard or for people who may do construction or, or other jobs or even nursing, I think is a very, it can be a very physically active job. You're moving all the time. But if you don't get to use your mind in a certain way, making sure that you equalize that when you go home and spend some time reading, spend some time studying, thinking, doing crossword puzzles or math problems or Sudoku or something. <laughs> you know, finding a way to balance between the two, making sure that you're exercising your body, but you're also exercising your mind. Um, but I think, in, at least in our society, it's usually exercising the body that we tend to forget to do more. Rest. Rest is necessary, and it's especially for women. She says this, there is a danger that women connected with the work will be required to labor too hard without proper periods of rest. Such taxation should not be brought upon the workers. Some will not injure themselves, but others who are conscientious will certainly overwork. Periods of rest are necessary for all especially for women. And I think that's another big challenge. I have friends who only sleep three or four hours a night at law school. They're not taking the time to rest. They're not taking a day off like is built into our own system of faith to take Sabbaths off. 
they're not getting the rest that they need, so their bodies never recharge, and then their minds can't work on full occupancy. And then the last one, local church. No, that's not the last one. Self-improvement, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going to put these ones up again beforehand. So she says, but let none take license from this to be indolent, to squander time and opportunities, and neglect the training that is essential in order to become efficient. The Lord is not pleased with those who, having had opportunities to obtain knowledge, neglect to improve the privileges placed within their reach. So we need to take time to learn how to use our time. We need to learn how to become more, and pro more efficient, and we need to learn how to improve the privileges that we have. And the way that we achieve that is through practicing with little things. It can become daunting to try to figure out, oh, I need to become a better time manager. I need to become better at like balancing between like my brain life and my body life and my spiritual life and all these things when really it's one. <laughs> but you know, it's, it, it can get overwhelming. But the way that we learn that is through practicing with little things, little things. She says this, it is the conscientiousness, conscientious attention to what the world terms little things that makes life a success. Little deeds of charity, little acts of self-denial, speaking simple words of helpfulness, watching against little sins. This is Christianity. A grateful acknowledgement of daily blessings, a wise improvement of daily opportunities, a diligent cultivation of entrusted talents. This is what the master calls for. These are the ways that in little ways we can start to improve how to how, improve ourselves, how we are as people. It can be character development. It could be how to develop our time. It could be learning new skills for work or new skills for any of these other areas that we talked about, but learning how to improve ourselves to be better people, to be better Christians. Now the last one, local church. She says in Education, page 268, another obligation too often, often lightly regarded, one that to the youth awakened to the claims of Christ needs to be made plain, is the obligation of church relationship. Loyalty to Christ demands the faithful performance of church duties. This is an important part of one's training, and in a church imbued with the master's life, it will lead directly to effort for the world without. Education, page 268. So, I think some people think, and I know I've definitely been tempted to think this, you know, I have to be at work, or I have to be at school for so long. And there's other people who, they do ministry full time, they're the ones who can take care of the responsibilities at church. Just let me go to church and sit in the pew. I just want to sit there and just not have to do anything. But that's not true. There's a work for each and every single one of us to do at the local church. When we commit ourselves to God and we decide that we're not going to turn back, there's an obligation that comes along with that. And the obligation is to serve his body. And the way that we're able to do that is through faithful service in our local church. So I'll put a little plug in. Make sure you go to the total church sessions that are happening on Friday. So you can learn how you can become involved in your local church um, in many different ways. But it's very important for us to do. So imbalance occurs when one of these six things in life is given insufficient attention or it's given too much attention. And self-discipline is the process of learning what we ought to do over what we want to do. And it helps us to know how to prioritize these things in the proper order. So I want to do an activity with you guys. I hope you all have paper or your um, program booklet. There's some, there's some, a notes section in the back that you can fill out. And let's see, how much time do we have left? 25 minutes, okay, good. So why don't we take about five minutes right now? And I want you to do something. 
you're going to take five minutes and you're going to write down your daily activities for your average week. So don't think about last week or the week before, but if you could make a composite week for what your life has been like, say, I actually did this and you'll see mine um, in a couple minutes here. But think about what your life was like maybe for the last three months. And if you could make like the average week, what were your major activities that you did like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sabbath. Um, so take about five minutes, write down on the piece of paper everything that, that are the main activities in any area of life, but what you do from day to day, from when you wake up to when you go to sleep. So we'll take five minutes and then I'll show you mine. All right, so the next thing we're going to do is evaluate how many oughts do you have and evaluate in what proportion. So let's look at the oughts again. They were communion with God, work, exercise, rest, self-improvement, local church. So this is the example that I gave. And you can compare your own list, see if they look completely different, completely the same, whatever. Um, so Amy's typical week. This, this was for my past semester. On Sundays, you know, I'd have devotions in the morning. I'd usually work on some stuff for GYC. I'd cook. You're going to see cooking's not every day, but... I kind of have a weird approach. I will cook like big, like a lot of food and then freeze it and warm it up throughout other days of the week. So just so you, I actually do eat every day, even though it doesn't say cook every day on here. <laughs> cook, study, and run my errands. Mondays I would have devotions. I'd go for a run. I'd study, do some more GYC stuff, run some errands. Tuesdays, devotions. Um, I'm the collegiate ministries director at my church, so I go to the collegiate Bible study. Um, study for school, go to class, cook, and take a nap. On Wednesdays, I have devotions, run, study, class. That was a pretty busy day for me. Um, Thursdays, devotions, study, class, work on some GYC stuff. Then Friday, devotions, run, errands, cleaning, cooking, collegiate Bible study fellowship. Typical busy Friday getting ready for Sabbath. And then Sabbath. I'm the Sabbath school teacher at my church, so Sabbath school, fellowship, recreation, go for hikes and walks in the park and stuff, and then rest in the evening. So that was like, it's, it's kind of a condensed version of what my typical week looked like. These activities were pretty much there every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever, whatever. So let's compare it with, the, with what we're supposed to be doing, the oughts. How, which oughts are there? So the first one is what? Pardon? Devotions, yeah. So I, did, I do have some devotional time with God. Um, where am I looking for my list? Oh, I see what happened. Okay, yeah. So devotions, and that's there for sure. And then second, work. <laughs> There's a lot of work there, right? Studying, errands, studying, 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 class, studying. For me, like when I was filling it out, like, okay, that's the work. And there's work pretty much every single day of my week except for Sabbath. Um, and then what's next? Exercise. Yeah, there's, there's a couple exercises in there. They, they managed to sneak in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, and so that's good, you know, that's an improvement over other periods in my life where there wasn't that many times a day. The next, rest. Oh, look, on Tuesdays I take a nap. <laughs> so that's extra, that's some rest, and Sabbath is a day of rest, and I guess I should have probably put under every day. I do sleep. I try to sleep seven hours a night. Sometimes it's more like six, but, you know, so rest seems like it's actually pretty high up there in my life. I, I value it a lot. Um, Self-improvement. So I said I was going to tell you a little bit about that. You know, I, I was struggling with anemia, so I co started cooking more than I used to cook. Um, the fact that I cook three to four days a week now is more than what it used to be. And, um, and I was learning how to cook more nutritious foods, foods that would give me all of the nutrients that I needed. So even though it's work that I needed to do, it was an, also an exercise in self-improvement. And that's something else I meant to talk about in self-improvement where we were talking about um, 
the fact that we can live independent of circumstances. Sometimes, you know, so, <laughs> that's telling me I have to be somewhere. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's what I get for putting my calendar on my computer. <laughs> so, um, we need to learn how to be independent of circumstances. Some of us right now are single and we're not married. <laughs> and we don't know what our situation will be in the end. So we need to be prepared both. So it looks like I'll be single for a long time, but if I get married, like I need to have the skills that are necessary for being a wife. But at the same time, I need the skills necessary if I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. I need to develop both sets of skills in myself right now because I don't know what the outcome's going to be. And even if you're married right now, you need to develop both sets of skills because you don't know what circumstances could come up in life as well. We need to be able to live whichever way. So I needed to work on learning how to cook more. I knew how to you know, put air in my tires and build my own fire in the fireplace. So I know how to take care of myself in that way, but I may not know how to take care of a family very well. Learning to cook is one of those things that helps that. Um, Self-improvement. but. We'll, we'll go into this in a second. And then the last one, local church. Yeah, I, I help run the collegiate Bible study on Tuesdays. There's the collegiate Bible study on Fridays. That's usually at my house, and I'm a Sabbath school teacher at my church. So I try to include time with the local church. So it looks like there's some, a little bit at least, of each of the odds on the list. But in what proportion? And I think that's where it's, I have a lot of work, right? It's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Um, did I put this up here? Yes. Oh, no. Okay. So there's a lot of work and there's a lot of rest, but there's not as much of um, self-improvement. Yeah, that's what I put. Self-improvement. I still think I could increase my time with God. We all probably always feel like we could have even more time with God. And exercise. Yeah, I exercise three days a week, but in one of these quotes, she said we should be doing some sort of exercise every day. So these are areas like, okay, even though they're all present in my life, they may not be proportioned in they may not be balanced in proportion to where they should be. But if I add more time for exercise and I add more time for self-improvement, the reason I say um, self-improvement is because um, when I was first starting law school, I made time for myself to read for fun every night. I would read for about an hour, either a devotional book or a biography or something that was not a law school textbook, just because I wanted to improve my mind and keep it balanced and not just learning the law. But I fell out of that habit quick. My second year of law school was so busy, and then this year I haven't picked it back up that I know there's more I could do for self-improvement besides you know, cooking more food. And like I said, time with God. So the question is, if I want to add these things, I'm going to have to start subtracting other stuff. So I can either subtract from rest or from work, I think, at this point. Because like I said, I sleep a lot, and I do a lot of work. But I think on Tuesday, that nap is kind of extraneous, right? Like. I told you, I sleep about seven hours a night. You don't really need much more sleep than that, I don't think. And so a nap, it's almost like napping because I can. I could do other things with that time much more wisely. I could cut that little bit of rest out. Um, I think the rest of the rest should stay. But then work, I need to cut work down. But sometimes you're like, how do I cut work down when I need to get all of this work done? Like, I just have this much work to do. It's not like I can't do it. So there's two ways. You can either reduce the workload, get yourself out of the situation to not have that much work, but sometimes that seems like an impossibility too. The other thing is what Magda was talking about earlier. We need to become more efficient with our time. So instead of being like, I have a five minute break, let me go on Facebook, let me get on Gchat, let me do something with my time that's, that seems fun and relaxing. When we learn how to use those little bits of time as they add up throughout the day, that helps us to get our work done. I didn't write the quote down, but um, in the Elizabeth Elliot book, she talked. She was 
It's a book where she's writing to her daughter. And she was telling her that when her daughter was little and she was working, her daughter would demand her to attention for something. And she couldn't keep working on one side and then try to address her daughter on the other side. She said, I had to turn my complete attention from my work and turn it to my daughter. And I think that's sometimes what we struggle with. The reason why our work takes so long is there's the myth of multitasking. There are some things that you can multitask and do efficiently. But there are other things that when you multitask, you end up really compromising the quality of work that you're doing. You just need to sit down, concentrate, and get it done. And I think I was like a strong believer in multitasking until I went to law school. And then I realized I couldn't multitask at the same time as reading. Otherwise, I'd have to go back and read the case again. And they're just too long to read twice. So you had to learn how to completely concentrate. So while there are some areas of life, like if you're in the kitchen, you can put something in the microwave and put something on the stove and put something in the oven and answer the phone and like answer, well, some people maybe shouldn't do that. You may burn the food. But <laughs> I find I could still multitask there. But multitasking in our work sometimes can do more harm for us than actually helping us to become more efficient. We need to take that time about how do we make ourselves more efficient so we can get the huge amount of work that we have done in less time so that then we can go for another run after work or something like that. Um, so the question, how to accomplish balance? The first one is this. We would like to accomplish balance through spending time with God. Again, when we spend time with God, as we study his word, as we pray, and we're, we'll talk about this a lot more tomorrow, he makes clear to us what our purpose and our calling in life is. He makes clear to us where we should be spending our time, what we should be putting in. And if we think about it, God was the master organizer of time. When you go home tonight, take a look at Genesis chapter 1. Do you realize that God created the whole entire earth in six days? To create the whole entire earth in six days, you have to have some pretty good time management skills. He couldn't be like, oh, you know, it's taking a little too long to call light into existence. You know? He determined that on the first day, light had to happen. On the second day, the third day, the fourth day, each of their own things had to, and they had to happen in a certain order. Life would not be able to exist as we know it if God would not have created things in the exact order that he created them. So he knew when to do what. He set himself definite time. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. He set himself definite times on when to do the work. And he accomplished everything that he had to do. And at the end of every day, what did he see? It was what? That it was good. He saw that everything that he did was good. So if we can just spend that time with God, who's the master time organizer, he's the one who knows how to use time most effectively, he can teach us to do the same thing, and he's willing to. The next thing is to find specific times to do work. And I have a couple quotes here um, about that as well. And they come again from that book, um, Daughters of God by Ellen White. Those who make great exertions to accomplish just so much work in a given time and continue to labor when their judgment tells them they should rest are never gainers. They are living on borrowed capital. They are expending the vital force which they will need at a future time. And I thought that that's interesting. You know, we're living in a day and age where our economy is not in a great situation because people were living on borrowed capital financially. And now look at the situation that we're in. The economy's in ruins. People can't find jobs. Our economy's, you know, not balanced. But the same thing can happen with our own lives if we put work at times when they shouldn't be. She's saying that we need to not exert ourselves so much. We need to give ourselves a certain time and not work beyond that time to do our work. Is work important? Absolutely. But we need to put boundaries in our life. And so I appreciate this about my mom. She works hard, really, 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 really hard. She wakes up very early in the morning. She comes home late at night, and she doesn't get that much sleep. But she, doesn't try, she tries her hardest not to bring work home with her. 
she stays at school for late hours, but when she's at work, that's where work happens. When she's at home, that's where home happens. Now, some people, they need to work at home, or it's more convenient for their lifestyle. They may have children or whatever to be able to have work at home. So I'm not saying don't work at home, but for my mom, it's helped her to actually put physical boundaries in her life where work happens at work, home happens at home, and you know, never the twain shall meet. Although I think that, you know, and we can all help with this, it would be nicer if she could come home earlier in the day so she could get more rest. Um, so if we just need to define those specific times, you know what, after this hour, I'm just not going to do work anymore. And that's something I learned to do in law school, and I think that's one of the reasons why my life has achieved somewhat of a balance and why people were starting to recognize this and ask questions. Because I would say, you know what, I, my mind just doesn't work after 9 o'clock at night. I, mean, I probably even shouldn't be studying that late, but if I'm reading after 9 o'clock, it's not going to help me. I'm not going to learn this material. I'm not going to be able to glorify God by actually being able to do well in this exam or do well in writing this paper. I'm just going to take the night off from 9 o'clock on. I'm not going to study any longer. I, it's probably more accurate to say 10 o'clock, but you know, I'm not going to work past a certain time. And But when I, knowing that I only have this definite amount of time, I know I have to get the work done. And Sorry, I could go on this one forever, and I'm only going to say one more thing about it. But it's, it's actually a principle that's in the Sabbath commandment. Think about what the Sabbath commandment says. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou what? Labor and do all thy work. So we need to get all of our work done in what? Six days. All the work that should for normal people take seven days, we have to get done in six God set boundaries for us on how we should use our time. But it's so that the seventh day can be the Sabbath to the Lord, our God. It's a principle that he taught us in a macro way, by the way we should organize our weeks, and he can teach us the same thing in a micro way in our lives, that there's a definite time that we should do things and then, you know, make it hollow time for each of those things. Avoid selfishness. I have a couple quotes from this too. I was just, I was actually very surprised as I was doing this research that it came up a lot that imbalance in the life comes as a result of selfishness. And I don't think it's always as, the, as the, um, the way that we think of it, like, oh, me, 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 me. I'm a person who's obsessed with me. But I think that when we get busy with work, we forget about others. So it's not that we're purposely focusing on ourselves, but we're forgetting about the people who are around us. And um, Ellen White says this, as we connect ourselves with Christ, we solemnly pledge ourselves to walk as Christ walked, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, all must be done with self out of sight and God's glory in view. Every act of ours has its influence upon others. Therefore, every thought and every motive is to be under the control of the Spirit of God. Um, all must be done with self out of sight and God's glory in view because everything that we're doing is to the glory of God. And I think that's the biggest thing. We forget God in the midst of everything, and that's why things can also become out of balance. We forget that our bodies were bought with a price, and that as a result, we need to take care of them in the proper way. So we think that we can just tax our minds and do whatever else at work, forgetting that we need to take care of our physical beings as well. Or sometimes, do I have this quote here? Learn to say no. That's the next thing. Ah. Oh. Yes. <clears throat> Ellen White says this, We are to be vigilant, watching for the coming of the Son of Man, and we must also be diligent, working as well as waiting is required. There must be a union of the two. This will balance the Christian character, making it well-developed, symmetrical. We should not feel that we are to neglect everything else and give ourselves up to <laughs> meditation, study, or prayer. Neither are we to be full of bustle and hurry and work, to neglect of personal piety. 
waiting and watching and working are to be blended. We can't just be, you know, some people like, oh, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, so I have to go be a Seventh-day Adventist nun and like sit in an Adventist convent and just, you know, pray and think and, and not do anything else with the rest of my life. That doesn't honor God. We may be spending more time with God, but that's not what he's commanded us to do. We can continue to have him in our life 24-7 in a different way than just like sitting in a room doing nothing. But at the same time, sometimes we get so busy, we don't spend any time at all with God. Neither of those are possible, but by avoiding... Um, by remembering that our life is dedicated to God and ordering it in the way that it is, it helps us avoid the selfishness problem. So it's not necessarily selfishness in relation to other people, but am I living this life because I'm doing what I think I need to do, or am I living this life because I'm, am I doing what I think God needs me to do? And the last one is learning to say no. I don't know. I think maybe this is a common problem with women. Maybe not all women, but I have this problem. I don't always know how to say no. It actually happens at GYC some. Hopefully they won't go back and listen to this recording. But, you know, I'll get an email. Amy, can you do such and such? Okay. Can you do such and such? Okay. And then as we get into December, everybody needs you to do something. And, you know, the Christmas week, it's the day before Christmas, and my family came to visit me from Michigan and Virginia, and I'm trying to, you know, do work, and then I get another phone call. Can you take care of this? I know I should say no, but I'm like, but if I don't do it, no one else will. That's not true. There's somebody else in the world who can do the work for you. You need to examine those six things and see, okay, is my life going to tip out of balance in one of these areas if I say yes to this? If it is, say no. There's another person in this world who can do that. Um, and learn to say no in a nice way. You don't have to be mean about it, but just know what your limits are. And again, this is not anything that I'm perfect at. This is something that I think we continue to learn as we go throughout life. But as we learn to manage our time better, we learn how to say no. Um, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you have to say no about things that you really believe in, but it'll take away from other time. An example I'll give is I've been very active with um, campus ministries for, I don't know, the last seven years, I would say. And I used to write Bible studies for them, and I would do other things. And when I went to law school, they started emailing me again and asking, hey, can you write a Bible study for this? Can you write a Bible study for that? Can you write a Bible study for this? It's something I believe in. It's something I had time for in the past, but I evaluated. And I'm like, okay, I live in Virginia now. This ministry is in Michigan, but I don't know what will help people all over the world. But if I spend the time doing these Bible studies now, I'm not going to have the time to prepare for the collegiate Bible study that I'm supposed to give at my local church. And I know my local church is a value that I have and something I need to invest time in. So even though I don't think there's anything wrong with Bible studies and writing Bible studies, I know I have to say no in this instance. But it's okay because it's going to give some other young person the opportunity to learn how to do that. And I'll still be able to focus on the responsibilities that I have nearby. So it hurt me to say no, but I also knew after praying about it, this just wasn't something that I could do right now with what God had brought into my life at that time. Um, so this is, these are the four ways that we can begin to accomplish balance. I think that we have about five minutes left. So I know that this is something that a lot of people had questions with, and this may not have been the direct way of answering that. I don't know. Was this helpful to those who had questions about balance? Yes. So I just want to open it up if you still have questions, because I know that it may not have been the way that people would have expected it. Um, go ahead and open them up. I'll try to answer, and then we'll close with prayer. Any questions? Yes. What has to give?
Absolutely. I think that's a great question. Um, for those who may not have heard it, her question is, if you recognize that there's a, an imbalance in your life and that time is going, you know, you don't have enough time for everything, something has to go, but you still don't know where to get the time to figure out what needs to go. That just that initial little bit of time to figure everything else out. And in my own personal experience, I think that for some reason we're able to make the chunks of time to do things like come to GYC, go on a church retreat or something. And it's usually in those places that I've taken then the time to pray about it, to think about it. The messages usually impact me. And that's a place where God has helped me start to evaluate those areas in my life. Um, that's the first thing that I can think of off the top of my head. I guess the other thing is, like you, like you were saying, that you saw for yourself, like spending more of that quiet time with God and just learning to make that a priority. And if you make it the first thing that you do in the day, the rest of the day will sort itself out. And everything else that for the time being you have to get done will fall into place. And I know I can testify to that personally, that just taking that extra time in the morning to spend it with God even though I didn't think I could afford that time, for whatever reason, other things would fit into place that day. So whether that means you and your husband spend some time together in the morning having worship and praying together and just saying, Lord, you know, before we even go to work, before we figure all this out, we just want to consecrate this to you again. Please impress on our hearts throughout the day what things we can start to cut out. I think that would help too. But the fact that you're here with GYC helps. Kathy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. You know, we make appointments for other important things like going to the doctor, and this is going to a different kind of doctor. And I think that that's definitely a wise way of doing that. Absolutely. And that goes back to what you were just saying to that setting those definite times about you do certain things at certain times. Are there any other questions? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Right. Yeah. I think we have time if there's one more question. No? All right. Well, let's go ahead and close with prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you for the counsel that you give us and the fact that even in your own example, you show us that it is possible for us to balance our lives, Lord. We know that it's something we can't do on our own, but only through your help. And so I just pray for each and every woman in this room that you will help them, Father, to take the time to examine their life and see the areas that may be out of balance, the ones that may need more attention and the areas that may need less attention. And that as you do that, Lord, that you'll help us to experience true order in our lives and that as our lives become more ordered and less hectic and frenzied that the world will be able to change a difference in who we are that they'll see your peace living through us and that as a result we can be more faithful witnesses for you um, i just pray for those who are struggling with how to balance everything in their life right now that you'll speak to them in a special way at this gyc that you'll show them those areas father and that as they go into the new year that they'll be able to make real changes and um and be able to make a reformation to their life. And I pray these things for myself as well. Again, we thank you so much for your example, your faithfulness to us, and your love to us. And we just pray that you help us to um, continue to serve you faithfully. I ask these things in Jesus' name, of course. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.